Heavenly Father, we know that you are here present in this house with us. Holy Spirit, once more, Lord, we say we welcome you. We want you to be that spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and our King. We commit this uh, time of declaring the word of the kingdom to you, Lord, that in and through this, you will be glorified and magnified. So be with me, Lord, be with my brothers and my sisters, and bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight, the title is called Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Now, that gives you a little hint on which verse we're going to be at, right? I believe you have seen beautiful works of art. But the question is, we tend to see that work of art as a piece of art right at the end. Have you ever seen an artist paint? That's, that would be an interesting process, right? Thankfully, today, we have, with time-lapse videos, we actually get to see artists paint things on the internet, right? It's on YouTube videos, and I, some of it has been, have been circulating around. And I realized something, that as they are painting, when they begin, actually, it looks very messy. It's just bold strokes of paint, you know. Uh, they, or sometimes they, they use their fingers, they, they throw things, and all you see are like colors and, and uh, uh, little lines here. And, but as the artist progresses, the picture then begins to unfold and it begins to reveal a, a very beautiful piece of art. But when you're watching it at that time, you know, you, you, you just can't make it out. But here is the point that I'm trying to share with you, that when we see it in its wholeness, when we see it in its totality, in its fullness, where everything comes together, we appreciate its beauty. It is a masterpiece. And that's essentially what this one word, peace, or shalom, is all about. In the Hebrew, where we get this English word translated into peace, the word shalom is it's full of um, nuances. You know, there are so many aspects to it. It can mean different things. It can, be, it can refer to wholeness. We can talk about fulfillment. You're looking at the a positive welfare of a certain person of a, or a group or community. You're talking about a contentment that is there, that you're satisfied. There is freedom from oppression. There's peace. There's serenity. Uh, good health will contribute to peace at the same time. Wealth, materially, yes. Prosperity. And of course, we look at the word harmony. All these words make up this one word which we are very familiar with. It's called shalom. And in Christian circles, in Jewish circles, you know, when we meet one another, you've heard these greetings before, right? Shalom. We are pronouncing on each person a wholeness, a fullness, a settledness, a contentmentness, if, if you want to use that word, huh? a fullness of every, everything. What has this got to do with the painting that you know, I was trying to illustrate with? You see, the painting, when it's in progress, it can look very messy. I mean, you look at the canvas, you look at the studio, you look at the artist, you know, he's all covered in dirt. It looks like a mess. You, you can't tell what is what. But one thing is very clear. The artist is in full control. He's at peace. You know, we see, we don't understand, but he is at peace. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not frazzled at all. He's calm. He's in control. 
And I suppose just to play on that word, the one who knows how to, how to master peace is the one that will be able to create a masterpiece. Did you get that? The one who can master peace. And he's in control. He sees the big picture. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that in the end, it's going to be okay. He's the one who is able to create a masterpiece. Interesting illustration. Nice picture, I believe. And all of us would not. They say, yeah, that's good. Now, if only life can be like that, right? If only life can be like that. Question for us this evening, I want you to imagine. What if you were the painter? Imagine yourself, right? If you are the painter today that we're talking about. And your kingdom assignment given by the king is for you to paint a masterpiece to express his shalom. How would you do? What would the picture look like? What would be that painting be like, for example, in your marriage, in your family? Would there be a shalom? Would there be an expression of peace? How would it look like in your career, in your ministry? How would it look like? Will it be a kingdom masterpiece? And that is what we want to consider this evening because the topic is obviously, as you would have seen by now, it is about peace. And Jesus declares in this next beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Interestingly, this beatitude is also the seventh. And you know, seven is a number of a perfection. And interestingly, that Jesus should mention shalom, to make shalom, to create shalom, to have perfection, to have wholeness, to have completeness in this beatitude. The craziest thing as I was preparing this, as I was going deeper and deeper into all that, this beatitude really packs a punch right between my eyes. I found myself being convicted over and over again. It did not sit well with me. Because I can tell you, I struggled with many aspects of what Jesus was trying to talk about. And I suggest to you also that the original audience, they didn't really understand it very well. I mean, the Jews were a conquered people. They were oppressed by a foreign rule, the Romans, and they wanted peace, but the way they wanted peace was that let's overthrow these guys, you know, let's whack them, you know, let's overrun them. We need a Messiah to help us, and after that, we are going to have peace. But to make peace with the Romans, to, to make peace with these people, you've got to be kidding. But here comes Jesus, the king, explaining his kingdom requirements to his kingdom subjects be peacemakers. How to understand. And so through this teaching, I'm going to go through five points. And I hope that through this five points, again, I'm unpacking it and sort of laying foundation upon foundation, it can be helpful for us to understand what peace is and what it means to be peacemakers and why the blessedness of peacemakers when they are called the sons of God. Point number one. First thing we have to realize that mastering peace is different from mastering peace. 
I've got to pause for effect. Because some will need to read it first and listen to it like, huh? To master peace, in other words, to, to, to gather, you know, to bring, to try and collect peace, try and get all the peace that you want is different from being able to master peace. See, in all our lives, and I know you'll agree with me, we're all looking for peace. We are trying to attain peace. Our problem is that we are looking for it in all the wrong places. And we are finding it in all the wrong people. Is it not true? This is the problem with the world and with all of us. We are looking for peace. The world tells us, oh, you have to try and find inner peace. The Bible doesn't really talk about inner peace. You know, it's, a, it's a different philosophy when it talks about inner peace. You have to settle it deep within yourself. So the world tells you, you want inner peace? Okay, you'll find it in health. So you must eat well, you know, you must make sure you this, make sure you that. If you're healthy, you will have peace. Well, not ent entirely wrong, but not, not totally accurate. The world tells us, oh, the more money you have, the more peaceful you are. Funny, when I see people have more money, the more anxious they are actually. Right? So you can't find peace, you can't attain peace just because you've got a bigger bank account. Oh, you want peace? Oh, you've got to relax. Go on a spa retreat. Sure, find peace. You know why not? Because they, they will let you smell essential oil so you'll be very peaceful. So we try to find peace. Oh, you've got to go for a different kind of a holiday. Oh, you have to be happy. Don't worry. Oh, people giving you a problem? Avoid toxic people. Don't talk to them. Translated, don't go to church now. So we are trying to find peace, looking for peace. Oh, okay, so no, no, no. Career, you've got to find the right job. Because if you have a terrible boss and you don't like your job, no wonder there is no peace. Okay, you've got a good job, then you've got to do things you enjoy. Go find a hobby. Because when you do the hobby, you will have peace. Are you getting the idea? This is what the world tells us. Don't let the external affect you. You've got to go for meditation. In case you don't know, meditation is not exclusive to Christians, by the way, right? Many other philosophies and religion, they have meditation. But they tell you, empty yourself, find yourself. And when you're able to do that, you will find inner peace. Isn't it interesting? I've told my students before, I think I should charge to teach people how to meditate in the church. Because when you pay, you will meditate. In the world, they charge and they pay hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars so they can find their inner peace. I'll start a course. People are willing to pay for peace. And you don't laugh because whatever I've just shared with you, do you know many of our church messages sound like that too? That if you find that sweet spot, you know, if this, we just replace it with Christian verses. We just put God inside there. But the focus is still trying to find a peace in the wrong place. We've got to ask ourselves, am I at peace or am I in pieces? We, let's recognize this, okay? Humanity is broken. We are, in, in, in some sense, broken also. And it's dangerous when we minister out of our brokenness. 
when we don't understand peace for ourselves, we still carry that brokenness. And the last I checked, broken pieces have sharp edges. And that's why we cut each other. And it's a totally different meaning from being on the cutting edge. You've heard this phrase before, hurt people, hurt people. That's our problem. So we keep trying to find that peace. We can't. How do we become peacemakers then? I said, no, 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 no. I'm looking for inner peace. Really? No, I think you're only interested in inward peace. What's the difference? Inward peace is when your peace is selfish. You only want it for yourself at the expense of every other person. In other words, I need to have my peace. Who cares about you? In other words, agree with me so that I can be peaceful. Oh, don't let me be stressed. Don't let me be stressed, you know. You don't want inner peace. You want inward peace for yourself. It's inward looking. It's selfish. Wrong place again. Some people tell me, oh no, you got to pray. You pray until you have the peace and then you move. Well, what's the definition of peace? Peace means there's no conflict. Now think about this. If you have a wrong worldview, you have the wrong mindset, and something comes into alignment with that wrong view and wrong mindset, will you have peace? Of course you will have peace. You are at peace with yourself doing the wrong thing. I don't trust that anymore, you see. I want peace from the Lord and I want to understand that. So my key point for us to, to, to look at this main thing here is that we cannot generate peace. We cannot generate peace. You cannot sit down and, I'm going to be peaceful, okay? I'm going to be peaceful. Oh, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. You know, I'm, I'm peaceful, I'm peaceful. Oh, breathe, breathe, breathe. You can't generate peace. You can't create this peace. You can't buy this peace. Mastering peace is different from knowing how to master peace. Everyone agree with me, first point? All right, you've been trying. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but at least I'm telling you the truth. The second point that we've got to go on to is you've got to meet the master of peace and be mastered by his peace. This is the key. You've got to meet the master of peace and be mastered by his peace. If you go back to the beginning, do you know that Adam and Eve had perfect peace and harmony in the garden? They didn't quarrel. That's a perfect marriage. Not yet, at least. But that shalom, that shalom was shattered by sin. The moment they sinned, that peace was broken. That fullness was broken. That wholeness was broken because their relationship with the one who is peace, their relationship with the one who has peace and who is able to give peace, it was cancelled. It was, it was broken. Shalom was shattered by sin. And immediately, the moment they had that, they, they hid from God. There was no more peace, right? There was fear. They blamed one another. After that, very quickly, they killed one another. And it's been like that ever since. Humanity lost the fullness, the wholeness, the blessedness of God. Here comes another cute sign, right? No God, no peace. But if you know God, then you will know peace. Don't know who comes up with these kind of little statements, but it's fun. 
it does tell the truth in a very, very simple way. So there was no more relationship with God and therefore there was no more shalom that was there for them. And that's why it was significant that when God instituted the nation of Israel, He told Aaron to, to pray this upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you shalom. Pray this, Aaron was told. Declare this over the people of God because they will need to understand that the only shalom that they can have and should have must come from the one that shalom comes from or derives from. Okay, The God of peace, that God will give that peace. All through the Old Testament, they were declaring that. By the time it came to the New Testament, John the Baptist, the father declared it over him that this child will grow up and he will give light to those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death and he will guide our feet into the way of peace. He will show the people this is the way to shalom. Now you and I know John the Baptist was the forerunner, the messenger that prepares the way for the King of Kings, the Messiah, the one who is to come, the one who will bring peace. Now, of course, we know that through the cross, when Jesus was crucified, peace was given to everyone or restored in that sense, or made available, reconciliation made available by Jesus through the cross. The first thing we see is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, He has made peace with all of us through the blood of His cross. This is peace with God, relationship restored through Jesus Christ. The cross brought us out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Now, this is where the word peace is important because before that, we were all enemies of God. We were enemies of God. Now, you, you may not like to hear that, but we were. But through the cross, we have peace with God. Now we're on the same side. We're on the same side now, okay? So we now belong to Him. Made peace through the blood of His cross would mean that before that, we were separated, we were estranged. Not just enemies, but we were so far from God because of sin, we are not able to come close to Him. But because of the blood on the, on, on the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled. We have been brought near to Him and we now have reconciliation and we have peace with God. I'm very happy with this point and I wish it just ended there. But the Bible doesn't stop there. Because through the cross, we not only have peace with God, we also have peace with others. How nice if it's only just us and God, right? Then we don't have to worry about the guy sitting next to us or you're not going to church and you're not seeing their face. But this is a powerful, powerful thing here where Paul declares this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. He says, Jesus himself is our peace. And he has made both one, both the Jew and the Gentiles. He has broken down the middle wall of separation. He has abolished in his flesh the enmity, the fighting between these two groups. 
and he creates for himself one new man from the two. Now we've got to realize that in the time of the New Testament and Old Testament also, there were really two groups of people as far as the Jews were concerned or as far as Israel were concerned. It was Israel and others. It was Jews and Gentiles. That's it. And of course, within the Gentiles and the others, they got different ethnic groups, different races, you know, and different families and different tribes. But it was just people of God, others. And there was this wall that was raised up because they will not eat together, they will not talk together, they will not have these kind of things because they're unclean. We are the holy ones and we are the cleaned up ones. But here the Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, this wall of separation between these two groups or these two world bodies, so to speak, that wall has been broken and anyone who believes in Jesus now, that there's no more separation, they are now at peace with one another. Now we've got to ask ourselves, we may say, oh no, 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 we're all Gentiles down here. But do you know that all these ethnic, racial boundaries and prejudices, do they still exist within our hearts? We've got to be careful, right? We have to be careful because it can be a certain group of people versus another group of people, one race versus another race, one country versus another country, one nation versus another nation, social status versus the rich and the poor, you know, the high class and the low class and the no class. All these kind of, the scholars, the, the, the real brainy ones versus the heartlanders, you know, those talking ones versus those talk, uh, cannot understand. <laughs> Can you see? And they are looking at each other, and, but in Jesus Christ, if we are all in Christ, it's all cancelled. There's none of these distinctions. Even gender wars today have escalated. But in Christ, it's not about us being male or female. It's not about male chauvinist domination. It's not a feminist, you know, I can do anything, you can do type. It's not about us fighting with one another. It is one new person in Christ. We have peace with one another. Easy to say, but you and I know we still struggle with all this, right? And we are still looking at each other suspicious of one another, but in and through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God and we have peace with one another. And there's a key verse that helps us move towards at least what the Lord wants us to live or how He wants us to live as kingdom subjects. The key is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Colossians chapter 3, 15. It says, Let the peace of God rule. In your hearts. You see that? You've got to be mastered by the peace of God. Meeting the, the master of peace is only the first step. But once you've encountered that peace with Him, that you are one with Him and you're one with others, then you have to be mastered by the master of peace and be mastered by His peace. His peace must rule our hearts. His peace must run us. His peace must be the one that dictates how we respond and how we deal with one another. Because He has brought us into relationship, reconciled with Him, we have experienced His peace, we respond out of that peace. I live now at peace with myself. I know who I am. There's no more condemnation. 
I don't have to fight. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to strive. I know who I am with Christ because in Christ, I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm at peace with my God. I have peace. But out of that, I now live at peace with other people. This verse is key. Meeting the master of peace is only the first step. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. We have to be ruled by the peace of Christ. We have to be mastered by His peace. If you are wanting to relate to our master, you want to know what the master has to say. Yes? And so we go to the third point. We want to know the means and the mechanics of the master's peace. How do I... How do I appropriate this peace, right? How do I deal with myself and I, how do I deal with other people? What is the means of this peace? How does it work for me? The first thing we see and must realize is that it is a different peace. Remember John says in 14 verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. I think we have to underline that phrase. Not as the world gives. That means whatever we've explored in the very first point, the things that you want, the things that you do, you know, the money that you want to have, that you think you have all these kind of indicators, you are going to have peace. That's what the world says. Those are world indicators. If you have been following this Beatitude series, if you have been going up Mount Macarios, have you realized by now, kingdom indicators are upside down. Our problem is that we still gravitate towards the, the indicators of this world and we Christianize them. And yet Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to give you peace. Don't worry. But I want you to know something. This peace that I give you is not the same as what the world promises. So stop looking at those indicators and stop using my name in vain and think that if you have these things, you are going to have peace. My peace is different. You can't generate it. You can't buy it. You can't create it. It's a different piece because we belong to a different kingdom. And I dare say that this piece is something that is supernatural. It's beyond us. That we can only receive from the master of peace himself because he is the only one that can give it to us. So our eyes will have to be fixed on the master to say, Lord, can you show me what is this piece? Because if you are the one who is peace, then I am the one that will have to only find that in you and you alone. You notice, you notice we always sing this song, um, Jesus is my all in all. That He is my sufficiency. That you are all I need. That's a dangerous song to sing. But what it says is that if we know Jesus for who He is, that's where we find that peace. It's a different peace. This peace is appropriated by faith. What is your faith based on? Who is your faith placed in? This is our question. The faith is not just, I believe in Jesus who died for me. No, the faith is, what do you believe about Jesus, who He is to you? It is appropriated by faith. It is enabled by the Holy Spirit. Here you can turn to Romans chapter 8 and verses 5 to it, where Paul was doing a teaching of what it means to live by faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Here's the key, you see. As you are believing in Jesus for things and to receive this peace, he's saying, look, I'm giving it to you by the Holy Spirit. As you believe, you now live by the Holy Spirit according to the ways of the Spirit, not according to the ways of the world, not according to the natural things that you see. Now, as you fix your eyes on the Holy Spirit, that He leads you and shows you this is where life is, this is where peace will be. Your minds will have to be set on spiritual things. Can you see the problem that we're all facing? If our minds are only set on worldly indicators and on earthly things and not according to the ways of the Holy Spirit, we will never be satisfied. There will never be peace. There will always be anxiety for many of us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says that, look, you know, you are now hidden in Christ. We are with Christ. And you're seated with Christ. And so let your mind focus now on things that are above. Not, not things that are of this world. Isn't it funny, right? Today we're still looking at so many things around this world. But the Lord is, is reminding us, look, you want real peace? You've got to look at where the things matter. This is what it is. Set your sights much higher. Your focus will have to change. You have to move from a temporal occupation to an eternal perspective. Why do we worry? Why are we anxious? Why do we not have peace? Because we're always worrying about what's going to happen today and tomorrow, right? We're always worried about the temporary stuff. What if I have this? What if I don't have this? What if I miss this? What if I lose out? There's a big speech in parliament now about we should kill the kiasu spirit. I agree. But you don't kill culture so easily. It's deep-seated within so many of us. We are kiasu and we are kiasi. Your mindset has to change. What are you fixed on? What are you focused on? See, Jesus is saying, look, you've got to look to me. You've got to understand what my kingdom is about. You, you serve me. I will help you. I will walk with you. I'll be there for you. It's your focus on God because that's where the real peace is. There's a song that I learned when I was a very, very young Christian as a boy. That says, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Beautiful. And that has just stayed in my heart all the time. And times where I've been frazzled and I've been anxious, and I know I'm running on my own strength and uh, trying to solve things by my own energy and my own wisdom, I would pause and I would recite this verse for myself to remember, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Stayed, eh? that means focus, always looking to the Lord. And it's amazing how the peace comes just to comfort me at that time. And I have to remember to stay my mind on that one point. Are you focusing on God? See, when you're appropriated by faith and by the Holy Spirit, 
that peace is not just for us to feel good, that you know, everything is okay, you know, everything's in control. No, no, no. That peace is also for us to minister, as we will see in a very short while, to others and the people around us. And so by faith, we learn the means, the mechanics is that we are not just to receive this peace, but we are also to practice this peace. And the line I'm going to leave you is not practice makes perfect, but practice makes perfect peace. You keep practicing that peace, keep giving it away, keep showing peace, you know, and as you do that, you master peace. I say that very carefully because I don't want you to think that we become experts. There's only one expert and his name is Jesus, amen? But we want to be able to move in that realm of peace and that's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's given by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit and we will bear that fruit of peace by the Spirit. The next point to realize is that peace comes with thanksgiving and with obedience. Wow, this is like a paradox, isn't it? Lord, I need the peace before I can be thankful and be obedient. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You be thankful and you be obedient and you see how the peace comes to you. I told you, the kingdom is always what? Upside down. And I love the book of Philippians in this. And it's again a very familiar passage in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 9. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You see that? With prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Which one comes first? Prayer with thanksgiving, right? So be thankful. Every time you find that you are frazzled, you're running around like a chicken without head. Get out on your knees, go to one corner and say, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I just thank you and I just praise you. You try that, okay? You just try that. And I can guarantee you on the Word of God, you will not understand it. That's what the Bible says. The peace will guard your heart and your mind. Otherwise, your mind will be in 3,000 places, your heart will be divided all over the place, and all you have is more anxiety and more worry. Pause for a moment, give thanks. Praise the Lord. That's the means, that's the mechanics. And then after that, as it guards your heart and your mind, you know, you begin to, to think of whatever is true and so on. But look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. It's talking about obedience. Whatever you have seen in someone who has understood what peace is, however difficult it might be, Paul was in the prison, and Paul was saying, now, you look at me. I'm still praising God. I'm still obeying. I'm still preaching the Word. I'm still declaring peace. Now, you do exactly the same thing. What's the promise that the Word of God gives us? If you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. I love this distinction because when I thank God and when I praise Him, the peace of God guards me. But when I step out and be obedient to do all He has called to me, to me to do in spite of my concerns and my challenges, the God of peace comes with me. Wow, which one do you prefer? God of peace or peace of God? Did you hear that? Which one do you prefer? Do you want the God of peace or do you only want the peace of God? I want the presence of God with me, amen? It's not just the peace of God just to make me feel good and that's about it. No, He promises to come alongside me and He will walk with me. 
The next thing is that peace is always grounded upon righteousness. This is part of the mechanics of the master's peace. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2, we are introduced to this person called Melchizedek. Melchizedek, translated, is the king of righteousness. But he was also the king of Salem. And the word Salem is translated from the root word Shalom. So Melchizedek, which was a type of Jesus, was at the same time the king of righteousness as well as the king of peace. Now, why is this important? Because we must remember that righteousness must never be compromised for the sake of peace. Do you understand what I mean by that? Sometimes for us, we want to keep peace and we say, never mind, never mind, (laughs) close two eyes. Once you understand this, God is saying, look, come on, righteousness is still there. It will always be established. James 3 verse 18 says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so if you want to be a peacemaker, guess what you should be doing? You should be sowing righteousness. Because peacemaking is a work of righteousness. That's the right thing to do. And if the person receives it, then that seed of righteousness would grow to become a fruit of righteousness. And there will be a good relationship that comes out of that. There will be restoration and there will be reconciliation. Another verse is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, where righteousness is called the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So again, peace and righteousness. Let me give you one more verse. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 16 to 17. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? That you keep doing the work of righteousness, peace will be the result. So as peacemakers, when we move out to declare peace and to express peace, that is a work of righteousness. And by that verse, we can stand on the promise that the result will be peace. Some of you might be wondering, no lay, I try, don't have me. I quickly add one line. Always remember that in Isaiah, when it talks about that future time, it's always eschatological. Amen? That at the final day, the final moment, you can bet your last dollar, there will be shalom. Amen? God will come and there will be shalom. In the meantime, some of our works of righteousness, some of our attempts at peace may not give us that result at this time. But finally, ultimately, we know this peace is a victorious one. That's why Jesus says, you know, in this world, you have many tribulations, right? But be of good cheer is okay. Why? Because I have overcome the world. And that's a promise. Now, we, we, have, we may not see it. We are still trying to overcome. Some of us can't even get ourselves up, right? But we, we are still trying to, 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 to do the right thing, you know, to, to get through another day and it's tough. But promises, you be of good cheer, be at peace. This is the peace that you will receive because once you understand, at the end, Jesus wins. He has overcome. It's done. It's not even a 50-50 chance, a 70-30, you know, maybe kind of thing. No, it's done. 
And that is enough reason for peace to flood our hearts. Romans chapter 16 is one of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 16, verses uh, 17 to 20. Let me paraphrase for the interest of time. He says there will be there are those who cause division, there are offenses, there are people who are selfish and give you all kinds of problems. But remain obedient. Keep going. Because at the end, verse 20, the God of peace will crush Satan. It's an ultimate victory. You may not see peace, you will see division, you will see people coming against you, there will be brokenness and there will be fighting, they're all over the place, but you keep being obedient. Be a peacemaker, be a worker of righteousness, because at the end, the God of peace, again it's peace, He will bring everything into a shalom, and that is going to be one big task that will crush Satan under our feet. It's a beautiful promise. God will crush Satan under our feet. Whose feet? I believe those who are peacemakers. Amen? Who live and understand the means and the mechanics of the master's peace. From there, if we understand the mechanics and how do we appropriate this peace from the master, only then can we move out to be ministers of peace what I call in the master's masterpiece. I hope you're not confused by now. Huh? Why do I word it this way? Because God is the one who knows the entire masterpiece. Amen? He knows the big picture. He's the master of peace. He's the big shalom. He knows everything is going to be well. He's just telling you, will you fit into my masterpiece? Will you help me paint this little canvas over here? You've got your marriage over there. Can you paint that marriage of your canvas? You've got a, a workplace over there. Can you paint that canvas of your workplace? Maybe in your ministry. Maybe in an assignment. Maybe with your siblings. Maybe with your parents. And you are you're doing your part to do your masterpiece as you are mastered by peace, but you're really ministers of peace fitting into my much, much bigger picture. Now, before we run out to do that, let's consider some tendencies that all of us are prone to have. Some people in their eagerness to be peacemakers, they consider it all their business. They like to chop a lot. I'm a peacemaker, but so everything, they got something to say. They make it all their business. On the other extreme, they bought up. They don't care. Peacemaker, okay, la, let's keep the peace. None of my business. So on one side, they make it all their business. On the other side, they make it none of their business. Can you identify with this? I see heads nodding all over the place, right? We are probably guilty somewhere in between. Those who make it all their business is that they become gossips. They keep talking, telling everybody, let me share with you, I'll share with you. I'll just share, la, Christian share, la. And they begin, to, they begin to slander, you know, I said, no, I'm trying to say, so you know I'm trying to help you. Then they become busybody, they're trying to bring poor people together when people don't want to come together yet. It's not ready, there's not enough time, you know, there's no wisdom in whatever they're doing, whatever they say just makes it worse. These are not peacemakers, these are peace breakers. They're not doing anything good there, they, they think their intentions are good. They don't have the wisdom. But on this side, when you consider none of your business, then these are the people who don't get involved, don't get involved, don't get involved. In the body of Christ, a lot of us are like that. Not my business, not my business. Pastor, pastor. And we keep pushing it to other people. And so to do everything and to do nothing has also got problem. 
we should be as peacemakers considering it as our Father's business. Is that amen? And when I consider this as my Father's business, I'm doing the work of my Father, then I really, that's when I feature in the Master's Master's Peace as His ministers of reconciliation. That's why the Bible says this, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. It's a good news. Come, be, be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God. And once you understand that, you are at peace with yourself and you can be at peace with everyone else. That's the good news of the kingdom because we all live happily ever after. Remember the parts of the armor of God? What do we have for the shoes? Your feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's a weapon. It's, it's one of our standard issues, my friends. So the next time you think, I don't want to be a peacemaker, I'm not called to go there. Then guess what? Your shoes, for what? Your shoes are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's to bring you there to declare peace and to be a peacemaker. Amen. Don't think of it only as salvation. Once we hear gospel only, we think salvation. Well, in a sense, you can extend it. You know what? Some marriages need salvation. A lot of relationships need salvation. They need deliverance. They need peace. They need reconciliation. Will you be the one to seek the Lord for wisdom and for the grace to be able to minister that? I like the way William Barclay paraphrased this beatitude. Blessed are those who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. That's a nice way of explaining it, right? Instead of telling you be a peacemaker, it's so vague and so broad. You know, he, he gives a deeper meaning and a more literal translation. He says, blessed are those who produce. You've got, there's some work to do. Right relationships in every sphere of life. Think of your homes. Think of your families. Think of your children. Think of your parents. Think of your relatives. Think of your friends. Think of those in the church. Every sphere of life. If you want to be a minister of peace, minister of reconciliation, let's take note of these few points. Jesus said, be a peacemaker because He knows peace must be made. You have to make peace by His way on his terms. You cannot sit there and wish for peace. Nothing is going to happen. Okay, and we Christians are very good. We pray for peace. But we don't go out to make peace. I, guilty looks, huh? We're always praying. I mean, that's good, right? So we should pray. But there's a time to pray and there's a time to go. And so peacemakers have the initiative. They take the initiative to pursue Peace. You chase after peace. You're always looking for reconciliation, restoration. This one thing I learned very early when I came into the ministry. God is always about restoration. Always. And each time I find myself coming against God, when I speak a word that is out of turn, when I speak a word that is insensitive, when I'm I feel I want to justify myself because someone has hurt me and someone has wronged me and I'm just doing my part to pour out my feelings. A lot of times, I'm not contributing to peace. I'm not restoring. I'm not reconciling. God is always about restoration. 
Peacemakers take the initiative because they are motivated by love and it's out of a pure heart. Remember last teaching we talked about pure heart? A pure heart is one that is undivided. It is, it is unadulterated. It's, it's wholly devoted to the things of God. And if you are one in that heart, in that wholeness of heart, and peace is also a different expression of what wholeness is, then purity and peace will go together. If you are single-minded and single-hearted for the Lord, you will pursue peace because God is a God of peace. But as peacemakers, let's be realistic because it's not always possible. Paul was very practical in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible. Now, of course, very quickly we say, cannot, not possible. Don't be so quick. Let's pray first, right? Because God is the God of the impossible, right? God can make it possible for us. If it is possible. Then he adds another line. As much as it depends on you, me, as much as it depends on you, not on the other person. So if it is possible, if it's well within your powers, your time, your ability, your conviction, then you should live peaceably with the other person. I don't know if you've gone through this experience before, but I've gone through it a few times and I tell you I struggle. Because my, my initial feeling is, I don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. Why should I pick up the phone first? Today, we can hide behind a text message. Why should I SMS first? Why should I WhatsApp even? That person wronged me. What? He or she should be telling me. Am I right? But the Bible tells me that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, will you seek restoration? It's been tough because my pride holds me back. I don't want to do it. And in that, I have not become a minister of reconciliation. It's not always possible. It's not always appreciated. There's no guarantee that when, if you take that first step, that person is going to embrace you. No, that person might just spit on you a second time. That person can just slam the phone. That person can ignore your messages. There is no guarantee. It's not always possible. It's not always appreciated. It's not always accepted. It's not always reciprocated. But our part is not to worry about that. Our part is to move and take that initiative to build that first step of making peace. Remember Jesus says, when you go into this house and this village and you go to this place, you, you proclaim your peace. Amen? And if they receive you, then the peace rests on them, right? But if they reject you and they kick you out, then what you have done is what you have done. You move on, you shake off the dust off your feet, and you say, fine, I've done what I needed to do. I've been a messenger and a maker of peace. Humbly, of course, not arrogantly. Otherwise, we miss the whole picture once more. It's not possible, not always. And you may even be opposed. You see, if you are doing this peace making correctly and righteously, chances are you might be opposed. Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. This always confuses a younger Christian, right? And I thought Jesus is the Prince of Peace and He comes and He, oh, peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. Merry Christmas. 
And suddenly Jesus declares himself, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And essentially what he's saying is that, look, if you stand for what I stand for, if you say what I ask you to say, if you declare righteousness and will not compromise and will not buckle and serve this king and this kingdom, guess what? People will not like it. They will come against you. They will fight against you. They might even kill you. And that's why at the end, he declares those famous words, He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Discipleship. So part of taking up our crosses may have to take up your phone and call someone and make peace. And it's going to feel like the weight of the cross when you hold that phone because you don't want to do it. But Jesus says, would you do it even if the person slams down the phone on you? The fifth point and the last point is this. The mark of maturing in the master's peace. So Jesus' command and declaration is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now you notice this verse did not say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. But they shall be called sons of God. So we don't become peacemakers that we will become sons of God. No, we are peacemakers so that we will be called sons of God. Let me explain this by showing you a few verses. How do we become sons of, or children of God? In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. And so if you believe in the name of Jesus... If you receive the living word, the logos of God, you have that right, the power, the authority today to be called the children of God. It's by faith that we have this wonderful title. The Holy Spirit is given to those who believe. So the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So you notice there's no requirement of being a peacemaker at this point, yes? So we are children of God by nature of faith and by the Holy Spirit given to us bearing witness. But a couple of verses before this in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it gives a condition that says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, These are sons of God. If you look at these verses, let me give you two Greek words that differentiate and will help us understand this better. You see, when we read these two verses about being children of God, that word in Greek in the singular is called technon. Technon. Technically, we are children. By birth, we become children of God. We are accepted and we are regarded as children of God. But the word sons of God here is a different Greek word called huios. And the word huios refers to children who have grown up and matured. You see the difference? And so by faith, we are children. The Holy Spirit is given to us and we know that we are children. But it doesn't end there. What does God do with His children? What does He desire of His children? 
He desires that they walk led by His Spirit, that they might grow up and mature to become sons of God. Amen? And that's that same word that Jesus uses, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So simply this, that if we would be faithful, persistent in our desire to make peace and to bring reconciliation, we see that matured sons of God, led and transformed by the Holy Spirit, will begin to bear the likeness of God and will therefore reveal the character and the nature of God. That's what it means to be a matured son. You and I have children, of course, we realize that as they grow up, you know, the, to look like us is not enough. Huh? Hopefully when they talk like us, it's not a negative picture. Huh? But we hope that as they mature, we would pass on some good things. And God desires that for all His children also that we will display the character and the nature of God. And if He's the God of peace, then do you think that we should also be sons of His peace? The beautiful thing is that when people see us as peacemakers, do you realize that when they see the son and the daughter, hopefully they will see the father. Amen? And through our attempts at making peace, people get to have a glimpse of who our Heavenly Father is. That's why today is the greatest opportunity for us to be peacemakers when all around the world there's another religion that claims to be a religion of peace but does not show itself to be like that. Truly, is Christianity a religion of peace? Yes, we are supposed to be. I think we've got to ask the Lord, will you help us understand what it means to show peace? and to make peace. But here's the most beautiful part, is that when God looks upon us and He sees us making peace, doing as best as we can by His grace, enabled by His Holy Spirit, I imagine this, that He looks upon us and He calls us, He declares us, openly He shouts, these are my sons and these are my daughters. Isn't that beautiful? You're right? It's not just these are my children, our little babies. No, 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 no. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's what it means to mature in the master's peace. Five points. Let's bring it to a close. If you look at our world, last week we shared with you this picture of a very broken earth. And the whole world is crying out for restoration and for reconciliation. And you know that it is not found in the methods of this world. And I'm thankful for beautiful women that go up there, win the award of Miss Universe and say, I would like to do my part for world peace. <laughs> Miss Universe is not going to give us world peace. You and I know that shalom, shalom, can only be found in the God of peace, in the King of peace. He is also the Prince of peace. He is also the Master of peace. But notice something as we close. You notice that Jesus did not tell us his people say, "Go solve the world issues." You know, go get into world government. You know, so that you know when you declare peace, everything will be okay, and you can sign a peace treaty, and everything is going to be cool. 
Jesus never said that. And I believe that it is not the big world issues that we should concern ourselves with. We should be aware, yes. But we should not concern ourselves with those big things if we do not first start with those that are personal and relational that impact all of us. And that is why later when we go through all of the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' examples and his illustrations is all about, you know, look at your marriages. Look at your relationships. Look at the problems. You know, you, you want to hate your enemies, I'm saying. Just love your enemies. You won't even forgive your brother next to you. He says, don't go and do these big things and miss that relationship that's next to you. And I think that's a very strong message for each and every one of us, is it not? We look for our kingdom assignments halfway around the globe, but we don't want to move an inch to restore a relationship that's close to us. Why don't we stay with our assignments and leave the world issues to God? Is that amen? Right relationships in every, every sphere of life. Be that shalom. This week as you go back, would you pray? Would you consider? If your marriage is in need of shalom, would you be that peacemaker? If your family is in need of shalom, will you be that peacemaker? If your church, your cell group is in need of shalom, will you be that peacemaker? Because Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Lord, once more, Lord, we are convicted by your word. It is so easy to shout peace. It's so easy to point a finger. It's so easy to look at issues and, and say, oh, if they should have done it this way, they should have done it that way. But tonight, I believe, Holy Spirit, you're saying to so many of us, will you be a peacemaker? If you have experienced the peace of God in your life, that you are at a right relationship with God, and in that, you should be at peace with God and with yourself. Restore to wholeness in Christ. If you understand that this evening, I believe the Holy Spirit would be pushing us to just consider one small act. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's going to start with a prayer to bless someone that you're having a challenge with. Lord, Enable us by Holy Spirit, Lord. Because we know we can't generate this. We can't buy it. We can't, we can't force ourselves to do this, but we need your enablement. So will you lead us, Lord? We don't know what the outcome might be. We are fearful about that, but may your shalom give us strength. May your shalom enable us. And Lord, if we would do our part, we know that you would more than do yours to pave the right way for us. And whatever the result might be we are the ones who will receive your love and your peace and your grace and will experience you even in a greater and a deeper dimension and so as we close this evening allow us to carry this with us lord and lead us and guide us and enable us we thank you we praise you in jesus name we pray amen